When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, theology, and I answered them as best I could from the Christian tradition and stuff I've picked up along the way. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take the questions of the day and answer them as best I can. The question today is, did Jesus ever talk about homosexuals? Did Jesus ever talk about LGBTQIA issues? Did Jesus ever address it? And I've often, and the reason I've often, the reason I'm addressing this is I've often heard people say, well, Jesus didn't talk about those issues. That's St. Paul later in the New Testament. And we have a problem with his writings, but we don't have a problem with Jesus' writings when we talk about inclusion of, inclusion of LGBTQIA people. Full disclosure on this episode, I've recorded it a number of times already, and I've deleted every recording I've made because I feel like this is a really sensitive topic, and I want to do it well, and I want you to know my heart in this and why I'm doing it, not because I care about obscure Greek words or I want to stir up controversy, but because I deeply care about LGBTQIA inclusion in the church. I have spent most of my adult life um, and childhood in churches that did not include LGBTQIA people that saw being gay as a sin and as a, a deformity of character or some other uh, malady of the soul that could be fixed and could be cleaned up and could be um, changed in many ways and from everything from conversion therapy to just plain old uh, judgment on people that identified as LGBTQIA. And so uh, today um, I'm in a church that does include people that identify this way. And I'm really thankful for that. Also, um, I'm disclosing and saying that um, I will get it wrong in some instances. Uh, my interpretations on these issues are not the final say on on these matters in any way. I'm a student too. Uh, my journey towards full inclusion uh, came while I was an army chaplain. Uh, while I was deployed to Iraq, soldiers came to me uh, who were uh, closeted, as was the law back then. This is under the don't ask, don't tell policy where um, service members uh, or gay or lesbian service members who joined wouldn't um, were told not to identify themselves and if and being being gay was still illegal um, during those years as long as you didn't tell anybody or be or engage in any public or even private behavior in those areas um, you could you could serve. And many of you know this better than I do. Many of you uh, served with me and you know uh, the stress of that. Um, and so soldiers would come to me during the deployment from other units and other places. I don't know why uh, they came to me, but chaplains have full um, confidentiality, privileged communication where we didn't disclose what people told us. And so we were a safe place to for someone to talk about what they were struggling with. And I was surprised by this because I was in a church that um, 
believed that being gay was a sin. And, um, and yet I was attending an Episcopal service there um, and maybe this, my association with that Episcopal service during that deployment was what, um, what prompted people to come seek me out that I didn't know. But in hearing their stories and hearing um, what they were struggling with on deployment and how those issues were interrelated, um, also hearing how very early on in their lives they knew that this was true about them. They knew that they were different from some of their peers, from their peers, and and, uh, and the struggle to grow up in conservative or in religiously um, religious communities that were not inclusive was a real struggle. And I heard this and I listened to this. And then when I was at Walter Reed at the psych ward as a chaplain there, um, so many of the service members who came through that psych ward, many of them, I, I don't know the numbers, and I can't speak to how many um, statistically, but there were a lot of service members who identified as gay or lesbian, who I believe the, the stresses of deployments and other stresses of transitioning back to this to the real world in many ways um, broke loose a lot of their um, ability to cope with living a closeted life in the military and there were suicide attempts from this and I saw the cost of living in the closet um, in in that psych ward uh, as people struggled really deeply with mental health issues and suicidality from you know, serving their country in really difficult and dangerous ways, all the while having to lie all the time about who they were. And so these were, this is where I changed my mind on these issues and began studying the Bible in a new way in learning about how homosexuality is talked about in the Bible and how many of our um, readings of those passages that address um, same-sex relationships and, and, and sex, um, how many of those passages have been misinterpreted over the years and misunderstood in their context. So uh, we're doing that today, asking the question, did Jesus ever talk about uh, homosexuals? Did Jesus ever talk about LGBTQIA inclusion in any way? It's often cited that he didn't, um, and yet Jesus uses a word in Matthew chapter 11 and also in the parallel um, edition of Luke where he gives the same speech about John the Baptist. Um, he uses a word, malakoi, which is literally translated delicate or soft. Um, and then this same word, malakoi, appears on a list of prohibited behaviors for the New Testament Corinthian church. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, first letter to the Corinthians, has a list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And one of the groups of the list, uh, there's liars, adulterers, fornicators, which is a very general word for sexual immorality. And then there's the word malakoi. And then there's the word that's often translated homosexual, arsenkenoi, which um, deserves its own podcast, that word. But this word malakoi is used for um, a list of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but now you're different. And so including Malachi in that list of sinners who won't inherit the kingdom of God 
um, makes those verses one of the um, verses used to say that that being a homosexual, being um, gay, is inherently sinful, and practicing that behavior is a sin. Um, and and so you can see how how easy that would be if you translated Malakoy as a homosexual, and that appearing on a list of prohibited behaviors for the Corinthian community. But Jesus uses it in this context of hyping John the Baptist. He's giving his speech about John the Baptist. He says, what did you come out in the desert to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Uh, and he uses, he says, you know, just a, a, just a, a plant flapping in the breeze. Is that what you came out to see? Uh, he says, what did you come out to see? A man dressed in delicate clothing? soft clothing, malakoi clothing. Um, he says, people that wear soft clothing, he repeats the word again, are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, you went out to see a prophet. Um, so this use of Jesus saying soft clothing is the same word used on that list of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is the word, literally the word soft, and, and this word is not inherently associated with um, with any kind of person. Uh, here it's clearly used of clothing. And yet the context um, of Jesus' use of Malachi is to, to highlight John the Baptist's clothing. We know earlier that John the Baptist wore a camel hair uh, garment, tunic, and a leather belt around his waist. He's dressed very simply, very plainly, and very roughly. Um, I can't imagine camel wool uh, being a very comfortable fabric to wear in the desert. It's probably sturdy, though. And his outfit is contrasted with those who live in king's houses, the soft clothing of king's houses. And so this word um, soft, so Jesus does not address the issue of homosexuality in, in his teachings directly. But his use of this word to me has is, is always been puzzling um, because it is a word that is so loaded um, in, the, in the New Testament and in other places too. Um, it, this word um, is translated a lot of different ways throughout, um, throughout the ancient Greek world. Um, and a lot of commentary is written on soft men. Uh, it's a word used for men it's not a word used for women, and it's often translated effeminate. Uh, early Greek um, dictionaries translate it this way. And so you can see in that list of in 1 Corinthians where people that won't inherit the kingdom of God, if you translate it as effeminate, um, you're, 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 it, it's a strange way to translate it in a list of people that won't inherit the kingdom of God. I think in the modern world that we live in, at least in North American white culture that I'm part of, there's a lot of things that, that I do that probably in, in, in um, even in my own generation would be considered effeminate or soft or weak. Um, thing, things that are associated with what women do uh, is is the um, the thing being judged in these in in the in the commentary when you call somebody soft? I know growing up I was terrified of people 
accusing me of being soft, of being weak. And I, um, and this is probably where a lot of our, our fear of gay people came from, especially in the military, that we can't have homosexuals in the military because they are effeminate, they are weak, they are unable to bear the rigors of war, combat, military training. And this is patently false um, from our own experience and every study they've ever done. Uh, shows that that um, identifying as LGBTQIA is not incompatible with military service in any way, shape, or form. And yet, in the ancient world, there's a lot of talk about um, effeminacy, of softness. And so this word of using of clothing is is more than just it's soft to the touch clothing. It's silk or something like that. Um, it has a loaded connotation of being weak, of being less manly, of being effeminate. So Jesus using it is always kind of strange to me. Again, Jesus is not, um, it's not always real nice uh, when he talks. <laughs> and he's not always um, maybe as careful as a modern day politician would be to not offend people. He says a lot of things that are are deeply offensive to people that are listening in his own day. And he says a lot of things that are often deeply offensive to us, even as his followers today. And uh, this is a word I've, I've kind of wrestled with. Um, the reality in the ancient world uh, that um, I have read and I think is pretty convincing is that this word, um, Malakoi, would be associated with a defect of character that men were supposed to be manly and and not like women. Um, and it, this still lingers in our culture today. Uh, I was at a, a golf club a couple um, months ago, and I I was I got dressed. We were working out, got dressed, and went into the the uh, little little uh, breakfast room there. And I was wearing red socks, wearing red socks, and an older guy said, wow, you're really wearing those red socks today. Um, you know, kind of digging them like, like they're not that manly or something. I mean, I'm sitting here today recording this in a pink shirt. So these kind of things, these, these signals that we send through our clothing to some people see pink shirts and red socks as being effeminate, being less manly. And um, I think this has shifted in a lot of places and times, but um, if I'm, as a white male, still getting remarks about being effeminate when I wear certain clothing um, in my community, uh, imagine um, how it's going over either around the world or in other communities in America that, um, that, that, are, that are still struggling with this issue of what, um, what makes a man a man. And so um, Jesus using this word is always kind of curious to me, malakois. Um, and many uh, translators, modern and older, have translated this word in different ways. One, um, as the passive sexual partner in a same-sex encounter. Um, and perhaps um, the, that is how the word, that is how the word has been used. Um, some translate this word temple prostitute. We know that the temple prostitution system of 
Corinth and other places that Paul writes letters to um, would have been an integral part of the economy, of the community, and, and not seen as cheating on your spouse. To go to a temple prostitute was seen as an, an act of worship. Um, perhaps going back to days of fertility cults where um, in order to get the crops to grow and other to appease the deity or to, to get the deity's attention, people would engage in sexual activity to provoke the, um, the god or goddess to, to uh, fertilize the crops so that things would grow. Um, so sexual activity and worship have always um, been associated from, from what I've read in ancient sources. And so temple prostitution in the Roman and Greek world was a thing, and the men who worked as temple prostitutes, men and boys um, were, that worked as temple prostitutes or were assigned or relegated to that role um, would, have, would have been um, functioning in that way. And, and this word, malakoi, can be associated with them and sometimes translated temple prostitute. And St. Paul is saying, you can't be a temple prostitute and be part of the Christian community. So that's one way to look at it. Um, you don't see a lot of people defending temple prostitution today. Um, in, when we talk about LGBTQIA inclusion in the church, we're not defending uh, Corinthian temple prostitution. We're defending people with a sexual orientation that they, um, that they, uh, that they identify themselves with and want to live openly and freely in this world and have equal rights to heterosexual people. Um, we're not defending temple prostitution. Um, this one's tough because so many temple prostitutes were probably enslaved people. Um, this word is also used um, or thought to be used uh, toward people that, that um, were forced into having uh, sex, same-sex relationships with people with more power than they did. That's why the, the passive sexual partner here is, is talked about. Um, and so this was always seen as an inferior position in the world, um, in the ancient world, for someone who was in this position. The word is sometimes translated catamite or someone that, um, that's sort of the temple prostitute idea. Um, and yet the word is, like many words for sex, a euphemism, one that... Um, you know, has a lot of meanings, and it's really hard to know exactly what this word means. If the word just means effeminate, the way we think of it today, um, wearing a pink shirt, um, I don't know what counts as effeminate today. Um, those people don't inherit the kingdom of God. This is what Paul is saying, that people that are just a little bit effeminate aren't going to go to heaven when they die. Is this what Paul is saying? It seems like he has included this lit this this term in a lit in a list of some pretty tough stuff like adulterers, and he's saying some of you have done this. Some of you have been adulterers, fornicators, liars, thieves. Some of you have done this stuff, this morally re reprehensible behavior, but now you're different. Now you're changed. Now you've been forgiven. You've been reconciled, and so whatever um, whatever people are on this list. They, they aren't on this list anymore that are members of the Christian community. And this warning is, is a warning to say, like, 
you know, these are things you're not supposed to be doing. And being soft is one of those things. So it definitely has a sexual connotation in Paul's list. Um, and, pro- and to me, the most reasonable explanation is someone who is engaged in temple prostitution. At another place in Corinthians, Paul addresses temple prostitution and saying, like, when you have sex with a prostitute, you become one flesh with them. And so that's the danger of temple prostitution is not that we don't want people having sex, he's saying. He's saying that that, that is, a, is a form of intimacy, that you're intimate with another person when you engage in sex with them. And so and we and and that um that union with that person is a spiritual union as well, even though you may not think it is. Um and so it's the it's the um it's the fact that not that um prostitutes aren't real people or they don't matter it's that they matter so much and that's why um, for Christians temple prostitution was not something they were to engage in and so um, to me that's where Paul's meaning of Malachi probably goes Um, and that's one of the excluded jobs that a Christian can do and maybe in our world today it's hard to kind of come up with a job that that a Christian shouldn't do. I don't know if you have a list of things that you would never do, not just because you don't want to do them, because you think they would be immoral or incompatible with your Christian life. Um, In a capitalist society where we're all supposed to make as much money as we can, it's really hard to find um, things that we maybe wouldn't do. Um, Would we sell cigarettes at a convenience store? If we owned a convenience store, we worked at one. These are all things that um, that we we have to kind of examine through a moral lens and figure out. And for Saint Paul, um, being being a, a temple prostitute was one of those things. And so this word malakoi has, I think, very obvious um, moral connotations that Jesus is even using and saying like. The, you know, people that wear delicate clothing, soft clothing, live in king's houses. And the way Jesus talked about power and royalty and people with power, I think is what he's really going, going at here. He's saying that, that um, people that are surrounding the kings of this world and those who have power um, are not the moral examples that we should look to. We should look to people that are out in the desert, um, in the rough, like John the Baptist, like the prophets, rather than the centers of power and prestige, where people wear delicate clothing, um, but are morally corrupt. And remember that um, John the Baptist is, was arrested by the king and his cronies who lived in king's palaces and wear this soft clothing. Um, and so um, Jesus is not... Uh, directly addressing um, effeminacy or soft clothing or the um, LGBTQIA inclusion. But he is using a word twice in these sentences um, that is a word that is associated with sexual behavior in, and sexual orientation in many ways. Um, one of the arguments against um, against inclusion of LGBTQIA people is that um, that being gay is to simply 
um, a perversion and a sin that people fall into. And the, the science around um, of psychology and, and even other studies um, has shown us pretty clearly that, that sexual orientation is not something that we just stumble into. Um, and there's been a lot of comedy about this um, on TV shows that of just stumbling into to uh, this identification. But the, the truth is that um, this is not, Paul is not addressing uh, equal relationships here. He is addressing relationships that are inherently abusive because of the power differential between the enslaved person or the person paying the, the temple prostitute who is enslaved in that temple. Um, it's the power differential that makes it immoral. It's not the um, it's not the sexual orientation of the person. We can even imagine that many of the temple prostitutes would not, if they lived in the modern world, probably identify as being LGBTQIA, um, but were forced into that um, sexual behavior because of their station in life. And this is the um, this is what most people in the in Paul's world and in Jesus' world would have associated with that sort of sexual behavior, a real power over situation where someone is inherently abusive because there is no equality among persons. Paul's teaching on marriage is that marriage should be equal between equal partners. And uh, this is not something that even heterosexual marriages had in his time as a matter of course. There were so many, as there even are today in our world, so many huge power differentials between men and women. So pushing for more equality between the marriages of men and women and the relationships between men and women is something Paul is very concerned about. And um, not seeing any examples of equal relationships in his world um, would, 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 you can see how that would cast um, homosexual um, homosexuality between the same between the same sex as inherently immoral because there would there were no examples of equality in that time and there even in our time um, there's been uh, I think when people have never seen an example of a same-sex couple in an equal relationship um, the moral um, the calling that that those relationships immoral becomes so much easier the more public examples there are of same-sex marriages and relationships that are among equals, uh, the more inclusion we will see. That's why um, that's why ch uh, churches that tend to be in areas where there are more open couples, um, urban areas especially, tend to be more inclusive. That's just my unscientific study on that. Um, that the more normal we see people that we once thought as being other than us, um, the more, more likely we are to, um, to, to re-examine our core beliefs about these things. So the, the lowdown is that Jesus did not directly address LGBTQIA inclusion, and yet he does use a word twice that is heavily associated with, with um, LGBTQ exclusion in the Christian church, and yet I believe is, is deeply misunderstood of, of what it means 
uh, today. So if you have any questions about something I didn't cover in this, please let me know. Um, certainly this is not the final word on the word Malakoy um, or inclusion, but I want to say that um, I'm really thankful to be in an inclusive church. I'm really, I've been blessed by, by the people that have um, both uh, gay and straight who have um, found in inclusion to be a life-giving thing um, to, to um, include everyone in the life of the church and the Christian community to not see our sexual identity as an exclusion from experiencing the love of God. That has been a real blessing for me to participate in and to be part of in the last just a very short number of years um, since I didn't uh, grow up in that, in that kind of inclusion. And most people haven't, I've found. Most people grew up in places where things were not talked about. Um, and if they were a message of exclusion, was given. So I'm thankful to be in a church that does that. And if you haven't found a church that includes everybody, I encourage you to find one um, or a community that includes you and includes everyone um, because, because I think it's a witness to the power of the gospel and the good news to see everyone equal uh, there at the foot of the cross, everyone sharing in the communion of Jesus' body and blood, of everyone uh, just being together in this glorious uh, family of God.